Thank you, Pastor Thomas. Good morning, church. Good morning to all of you. How are you? Uh, how are you this morning? Good, good, good. It's always good to be in the house of God. Amen. Yeah, it's great for me to be back after uh, one month of sabbatical break. And it was a time of rest, a lot, a lot of rest, a time of praying and seeking God, right, for His will of what He wants me to do uh, in, in the future. And really, I want to thank all of you, all of you for your prayers, for your support and encouragement, you know, during this period. And obviously, when I, when, when I came back from my sabbatical, a lot of, uh, you know, those youth, and I haven't seen them for some time, say, oh, pastor, what did you do, you know, for that one month? I would say, yeah, obviously, I uh, rest, you know, and I, I eat, all right, I, I, eat, I ate a lot. <laughs> I, went, I went to travel, and, um, and, you know, to make myself sound not so guilty, I say, yeah, I tried to exercise also. So, when they say, oh, you tried to exercise, so how? Now you got muscle already, you know, I got six packs or not. I say, no, I don't have six packs. I have a family pack. Six in one, <laughs> All right? Just one. Anyway, uh, that was uh, sabbatical, and I'm just so glad to be here. All right, back here with all of you. Now, remember this incident uh, happened just one and a half month ago. It was a Wednesday evening. I was on my way to prayer meeting. I was driving. That night, I was the person in charge of the prayer meeting. So I was driving there, and I was quite hungry. It was dinner time, and I thought myself, okay, I would just stop by at the shop, coffee shop near Plauticus, and maybe just tapau, you know, and buy something, and I can eat it when I, I go to church. So I went there, I bought something, and I quickly drive uh, Hopefully, if I can drive a little bit faster, I can reach church a little bit earlier, I can eat it, and before I come up to set up and uh, to lead the prayer meeting. As I was driving past the buildings, suddenly I heard a loud voice, a woman screaming, help me, help me, please help me. And, and, and she, she kept on repeating, shout, shouting this. I, I, I heard it, so I slowed up my car and I... I turned down the volume in, in, in uh, the, the, the radio and I tried to see who is that person shouting. And I saw, you know, a woman screaming, help me, help me, and she was covering her face. And there was a big crowd, you know, just surrounding her. I don't know what happened, so I tried to see. And apparently, I, I, from what I see, you know, she was, you know, covering and probably someone, you know, uh, pour some liquid on her face, uh, something, some, some, something that makes her very, very painful. And then, you know, I can see people trying to pour water on her face, you know, trying to, and she was screaming, send me to the hospital, please, please, please. And there, in the car, I was thinking, you know, Wilson, I, should, I, should I stop my car? Should I go down and offer help? Or should I even go down to even ask, you know, what, what is happening to find out a little bit more about that situation? Should I offer to help that lady or fetch her to the hospital nearby? Or should I maybe call the ambulance? And I was just thinking, you know, a lot of this, should I, should I? Suddenly I heard a loud honk. And I, I, I realized that, you know, there are many cars behind me. 
And as I was thinking, it actually, you know, I, I hold up, I held up the rest of the traffic. You know, everyone was behind. So they were honking me, and I just quickly drove on. And I was driving nearer to church. I was thinking to myself, Wilson, what do you do? You should have stopped. You know, there's this mixed feeling, this guilty feeling. I should have stopped. You know, you, 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 I should have, you know, offered help. Maybe I should have called the ambulance, or maybe I should have... You know, so many, maybe this, maybe that. You know, when I see uh, uh, someone in, help, in need, I should have done that. So as I was, you know, struggling with this, and I remember, I, I, I was reminded of a parable. A parable which Jesus has told. How many of you know what parable is that? Parable of the Good Samaritan. That's right. You know, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, uh, you know, Holy Spirit has wonderful way of reminding you, right? Using this teachable moment. And, I mean, who haven't heard about the parable of the Good Samaritan? We all have heard, right? It is probably after the prodigal son, probably one of the most famous, right? The most well-known, most frequently cited and widely appreciated of all the parables which Jesus has said, uh, has told us. And I believe for many of us, you know, even from young children, from seeds to ISCA to servicers uh, to cell groups, adults, you know, we have in one or the other way, you know, heard of this parable at least once or twice. But the question this morning is that we have heard, but what is the objective of this parable? Why did Jesus tell this parable to us? I asked a few people you know, regarding this, and I have a few answers. Some tell me, oh, uh, we, we need to help one another. Some will tell me, oh, don't judge a book by its cover. Another person tell me, oh, there's no permanent friends or enemy. One says, I help you, you help me. Another one says, Jesus was, wants us to be kind. You know, there are all kinds of answers. Some are right, you know, some are not so right, but... What I want to do this morning is to help us to understand, you know, the reason why Jesus told this parable to us. And in order for us to understand, we need to go back to the Bible, right? So if you have a Bible today, would you turn to me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, I have the verses here on the screen. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
So we, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarius, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him and who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We declare that your word is living, your word is active. We ask the Lord, your Holy Spirit will come and teach us and Teach us your truth, O God, and help us to live our lives as your disciples. In Jesus' name we ask and we pray. Amen. So now let's just go back to this story, the setting of this story. Jesus was having some conversation with his disciples. They were in some public square, the public place, and he was talking to them. Then here, suddenly it says there was an expert. There was an expert of the law. Alright, so this guy, he's the expert of the law of Moses, right? The Mosaic law. So let's call him the lawyer, okay? So suddenly there was this lawyer, he stood up. He stood up and he began a series of dialogue with Jesus. Now, now let's see what he asked. In verse 25, he stood up and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when he asked this question, you can imagine, you know, there was a public space, then everybody just stopped. Because they know that this guy, he's a, a lawyer, he's an expert. He knew the law, he knows the law, but yet he stood up. He asked Jesus this question. The verses tell us that he wants to test Jesus. So a lot of them, they like, no, the attention not turned to them. They were like, okay, what will Jesus answer? How will Jesus answer? Because during that time, they were all trying all sorts of things to, to trick Jesus, to make him to say something that is, you know, they find it uh, against the law, then they will catch him and they will, they will want to uh, uh, charge him for that. So everyone is trying to listen, you know, like what? Will Jesus' answer be? They were anticipating his answer. But you see, Jesus is the master teacher. He's the master teacher of all time. He did not reply him with an answer. All of them were looking for an answer. All of them were waiting for an answer. In fact, Jesus answered his question with another question. He answered the question with another question. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, what is written in the law? He turned the, the answer, you know, he asked him another question. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Here, the lawyer asked him, what shall I do, you know, to inherit life? And expecting an answer. But Jesus asked him another question. What is written in the law then? Tell me, what is your reading? In other words, Jesus is saying, what does the Bible say about this? Ah, uh, you see how smart Jesus, he just turned the, the situation around. I just asked him a question. I wish, you know, uh, myself and all the pastors, we knew this, you know, we know this, this technique. Uh. Next time everyone will come us and ask us all the difficult questions, we can just ask, what is your reading of it? Anything they ask, you know, oh, pastor, tell me why my life's so horrible. What 
What is your reading of it? What does the Bible tell you? You know, Pastor, you know, what is my future? Can you tell me my future? What does the Bible tell you? Oh, Pastor, why are my children behave like that? What does the Bible tell you? Pastor, why are you still single, not married? What does the Bible tell you? I mean, easy, right? So, so anyway, this is how Jesus says. What does the Bible tells, uh, says about this? So, the lawyer now, you know, he has to answer. He knew the answer. He says, you know, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you see, his answer contains two parts, two parts, and this love God and love neighbor. And this is a combination, actually, it's a combination of two scriptures from the Old Testament, all right, two scriptures from the Old Testament. The commands to love your neighbor is found in Leviticus 19, verse 18. And the command to love God appears in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Now you see here, one is in Leviticus, another one is found in Deuteronomy. If you follow the canonical order, right, the biblical canon order, it should be love your neighbor, then... Love God, Leviticus, then Deuteronomy. But here, when Jesus summarized it, you know, earlier, he changed the order. Jesus put love God first before the commandment, love your neighbor. And this morning, I want to stress that the order is very important and we should take note. Love God first, then love your neighbor. And that brings us to the first point that we want to learn from this, that Jesus is teaching us uh, in this section, in this passage, that is the way to life. Remember, the lawyer was asking, what can I do to inherit eternal life? He wants eternal life. And Jesus is replying, Jesus is telling him, the way to life is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and all your mind. That is and should be our first and foremost priority. We must first know God. We must first love God. The commandment must be fulfilled before even we move on to love our neighbor. You know, experience tells us that, you know, it is very important for all of us to be filled with the love of God. Because when you are filled with the love of God, then in turn, it will provide that energy, that motivation that is necessary to love your neighbor. If you don't have the love of God in you, if you don't experience the love of God with you, it's almost impossible to go and help. Even if you can go and help, after a while, you will give up. You will give up in disappointment. You will give up in frustration. Because I want to tell you, helping people is not easy. Is that correct? You know, people can be very mean to you. People can take advantage uh, of you. People can do all sorts of things. And you will give out. That's why it's very important to know that to be filled with the love of God because when you're filled with the love of God, then our acts of love that is extended to others is out of the gratitude of God. We are loving them with the love of God then we can be sustained. Then we can do what Jesus asks us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love our neighbor as ourselves. If not, 
right? If we don't love God first, if we don't put God first, then it is almost impossible. So this morning I ask, what is the way to life? What is the way to life? The way to life is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Church, that's our way to life. That's our way to life. I want to ask us this morning, ask ourselves, do we love God? Do we love God with all of who we are? And we find that in verse 28, Jesus confirms it. All right, Jesus says, uh, you have answered rightly. And he says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. But then this expert, right, this lawyer, he continued with another, another dialogue, with another question, and he says, okay, I know. I know that I should love God, you know, with all my heart and all these things, and I know I should love my neighbor. But now my question is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now you may ask, you know, why? Neighbor, neighbor, you know, this is your neighbor. Why did this lawyer ask, who Jesus, who is my neighbor. Now, you see, this lawyer, we find that in verse 29, it says he wants to justify himself. He wants to justify himself. The lawyer wants to define the term neighbor narrowly because to him, uh, he wants to excuse his lack of love for other people. To him, he says, okay, now I need some clarification of what do you mean by neighbor? Is it a lot of people or is it a small scope of people? And definitely for that lawyer, he wants it to be maybe just, you know, a small group of people. He wants to have eternal life. But he also knows that his only hope to qualify by law for eternal life, huh? for, to have life, if the neighbor is merely defined as just family members, just close associates, or just members of his very own race or his own tribe. You know, the Jews, they understood that neighbor means a friend, a relative, or a, a, a fellow Jew. All right? As a Jew, they naturally, they, when they think of neighbor, they will naturally include, okay, neighbor is, you know, all my fellow Jews, you know, who love God, who knows the, 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 the follow the law. But they say, oh, how about the Gentiles? No, no, Gentiles are not neighbor. All right, Gentiles, they are not neighbor. And they think that God hates the Samaritan. So definitely, they don't qualify as neighbor. I don't have to love them. You see, the lawyer is trying to justify himself. Who is my neighbor. It's not difficult for him if the neighbor is just friends, family, his own people, right? Then he can tell himself, oh, then I am obedient. I, I, I keep the law. I love my neighbor. Then I can earn eternal life. That prompted Jesus to continue and to tell the story of the good Samaritan. That's why we know the parable of the good Samaritan. Samaritan did not just come out from somewhere, but it's because of this discussion with the lawyer that Jesus is now sharing the parable to teach him the truth of who is the neighbor. Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. All right, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, let's just imagine there is this road. 
All right, the 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a very, very dangerous road. The road between these two cities is very rocky, it's mountainous, and it's filled, always haunted by robbers. And it's very unsafe for travelers. You know, travelers who go there very often, they will be robbed. And it's along this road from Jerusalem to Jericho that this certain man, that this certain man, he fell among the thieves. He met with some robbers. He was stripped of his clothing and he was wounded and, the, and, and then, you know, he was left half dead. He was left half dead. You see, in the Bible, Jesus did not tell us who this man was. Jesus deliberately, you know, becomes very weak about his identity. Who was attacked? I mean, who, who was him? We all we know that he was attacked, he was robbed. Nothing is known about him and his identity. But when Jesus told this parable, his audience would have assumed he was a Jew, right? They would assume he was a Jew. But you see, when in the Bible, in a parable in the Middle East, people would know that someone's accent, someone's language, someone's clothing will tell who that person is. Actually, it's the same as all of us, right? Sometimes when we see certain things that you wear, then maybe we'll know, okay, this person is from which country, especially if they are wearing their, you know, national costume. Uh, uh, sometimes you hear their language, oh, you know they are from uh, this country, you know uh, the accent, or oh, maybe they are from north, they are from south, you know, you, it's, 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 okay, it's all right, you, know, you can identify from their clothing, from their accent, from their language. But here you see Jesus, he deliberately removed all these details. He says the wounded man was stripped. Was stripped, that means he has no clothing. There's no way for the people that come after that to identify where he come from. And then he says he's unconscious. He's half dead. He cannot shout, he cannot talk. He's just lying down there. So when he can't talk, you cannot hear his words. You cannot identify his language nor his accent. So obviously, Jesus is trying, very, you know, trying to, to, to hide the identity of this. You know why? Because it's easy. When, if Jesus says, oh, that person is a religious elder, or he's a very important person, he's the member of the so-and-so, you know, then obviously, you know, the people that come will always run and to help him to extend the, the, the help, right? But now Jesus is hiding the identity because he wants to bring that, you know, it's very skillfully omitted by Jesus to create that tension to the heart of the story, all right? So let, let us examine the characters that come, okay, that come uh, one by one. First, we, we know, okay, there was a priest, a priest who came. All right, the first one. This priest, he was on his way down uh, from the mountain, from Jerusalem, and he's traveling back home to Jericho. Now, during that time, the first century, the many priests uh, from, the, from, from the first century, they live in Jericho, right? They will, they will go up to Jerusalem because there was temple in Jerusalem. So they will go up and they will serve as the priest for one week or two weeks in their, in their uh, temple assignment. They will serve, they will do all these things, and then after that, they will come down and they will go home uh, to their homes in Jericho. And priests, they are, you know, they are upper class. They are the highest class in, in the community. 
Okay? And certainly, we can imagine he doesn't walk, right? He will be riding on something, on a donkey. And, and, and they are the elite, right? They're members of the elite and they have tremendous influence on the Jewish uh, society. So imagine this priest, after fulfilling his duty as the, as the, as, as in the temple, he was riding down on his way back to Jericho. And then he saw that certain man who was attacked lying unconscious by that road. Now, you, 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 you got to put yourself you know, into that, that, that story. If you were the priest, what would you do? What we will do? Sometimes we will, because we, we read the story, I, I will go and help, you know, I will run to him. No, sometimes just, just imagine, if this morning, okay, before you come to service, you say, oh, the weather is so good, no rain. Okay, I go to jog. Okay, so you jog. So you go to maybe, you know, to some, 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 some park and you jog, 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 jog. And suddenly, you realize there, was, there is a man lying there naked. Oh, yeah. Unconscious. All, you know, covered up with blood and, and bruises. And it's not moving, not stalking. What will you do? Will you quickly run to his aid, turn him around, check him, are you okay or not? Give him CPR, you know, carry him, put him into your car and, and drive him to the hospital? <laughs> or were you like, oh, I didn't see it, oh, oh, oh. then you go, hey, you see, see, see. What, what will you do? Sometimes when you put yourself into, you know, you, you will, it's not that easy, right? The, the priest was in a dilemma, all right, to help or not to help, to help or not to help. So now we try to understand the priest, he himself also have fear. Why? What are the fears? First, he also may be scared because remember I said this road is a road that is full of robbers. He may be very scared. Hey, what if I stop and the robbers are still around? Or maybe the robbers purposely leave him there. Wait for me to come down from my animal, go near to the, 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 the man, and then they will come and jump on me, and they will rob me, and they will kill me. Yo, scalo, I dare not come down. He may have this fear. This is a road that nobody wants to, you know, stay there and linger there and, you know, party there. Everyone wants to leave and wants to go away as soon as possible. But the priest was also scared of another thing that we often did not see. That he was afraid to be defiled. Because remember, he's a priest. He's a Jew. And as a priest, as a Jew, he has to you know, follow certain rules. And because we see here is an unconscious man. He's not talking. Probably he is not unconscious. Probably he would have died, right? And looking across the, street, the, the road, the priest wouldn't know whether he's alive or he's dead. But just looking at a blood-stained figure. And if he's dead, then this priest cannot touch him. Because if when the priest touch him, the priest will become unclean. Ceremonially, he will become unclean. And if the priest touch him and he's dead, the priest will become unclean. And if he's dead and he's not a Jew, huh? he's a Gentile, the priest will be doubly unclean. Yeah, that society is like that. If he's not a Jew, he's Gentile, he will be more unclean, two times, three times unclean. Because in the five sources of defilement, huh, unclean, a contact with a dead body is the top of the list. That means the Jew cannot touch dead body. 
other than their own relatives, uh, their family mem- close family members. And he is the priest, he knows the law. The oral law tells us that four, four more other you know, uh, criteria of defilement, uh, once you cannot do, once you do your ceremony unclean, you will be defiled. One is to touch the body of a dead, uh, dead body. Second is to touch the dead body of the Jew, non-Jew. You know, the Gentile, that is also number one on the list. And the law even forbid the priest to come within four cubits. That means 6.4 feet of a dead person. Ah, that's the law. Right? The law says the priest cannot come within four cubits of a dead person, let alone touch the dead body. You see, this is the obligation uh, the rule that the, 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 the priest has to. So you're scared. So what if I go and touch that, I'll become unclean. And you will say, you know, I uh, defile my defile, unclean my unclean. No, no need to scare what? But you know, the consequences of defilement, the consequences of being unclean is very, very serious. The priest has to do a lot of things. The priest, remember, he served in the temple. He, he, he administered you know, at various, all the services and all the functions. When he's defiled, when he becomes unclean, that means he would be banned from doing all these things. Imagine if I go and touch a dead body, it's okay, Wilson, no need to preach, you know. <laughs> no need to do all these things. Because you're unclean. And he can't wear his priestly robes and all these things because he is unclean. Defilement to him also, he cannot receive the tithes. He cannot receive his pay. He cannot, um, and not only that, he to become uh, clean again, right? He has to cleanse himself. That's a cleansing ritual. So to become clean, he would have to go back to the temple. He would have to go back to the temple, present himself at the temple. Then he have to buy a red heifer, or a, a red heifer, and offer it at the sacrifice. And not only that, after that, you know, he would have to stand with the unclean during the service time, uh, during the offering of the incense time. He has to, remember he's a priest, uh, he has to go and stand with the unclean, the, those unclean people. And when the gong is sounded, gong, you know, the, the loud noise is sounded when the service at the, at the temple, he has to go and stand there. And then he will have to be shamed by everyone publicly shamed for being unclean. And there's a lot of things. It will affect his income. It will affect his life. And this ritual will take more than a week. This cleansing ritual will take more than a week for him to be clean again. Now, sometimes when I read about this, you know, I just thank God. Aren't we all thank God that Jesus has already died for us and cleans us from all our sin? that we don't have to go through all these things. Imagine every time you, you, you defile yourself, you need cleansing, you have to do all these things. So, the priest was in the dilemma to go and help or not to go and help. What did he do? In verse 31, he says, he passed by on the other side. When he saw that man, he passed on, I mean passed by on over to the other side. Let's look at the second character, the Levite. Now, here enters the Levite into the scene. The Levite is 
also from the Jerusalem temple, right? He also come from the temple. He, they are the temple assistants, right? They serve, uh, they are just a, a class lower from the, from the priests, but they serve, you know, sometimes they serve in the worship, in the temple's affair. And they, he's on his way down, all right? He's on his way down. So probably the, 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 the priest is his boss, so he's the assistant. So he's on his way down, and he saw this man. He saw this man. And then this Levite is also scared. He's so scared because he has his own fears too. Remember, he's a Jew, and he will also be scared to be defiled, to become ceremony unclean. If he goes down and he can touch him, and if he's dead, it would not cost him as much as the priest, but remember, he's still working in the temple. He's still serving in the temple. So, what did this Levite do? What did he do? Same thing. He came down. This time he came down. He came and he looked. But then he passed over to the other side of the road. He went close to him, to the, where the man lies. But the Levite did not help. He had fear too, like what I say, you know. Obviously, he was fear of being robbed. It's the same road. He had the fear of being unclean if he touched the dead body. And lastly, he had another fear. He may be, think like, you know, my boss, the priest, have just passed by. And he did not help. Me as the assistant, you know, should I help? If your manager says, no, we don't help. If you are the assistant manager, what will you do? Ah, oh, you must think. He's a Levite. You know, we think that he understood the law better than the priest. What do you think if this Levite right into the, 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 the territory, into Jericho with this man, if he helped this man, you know, he carried this man. Uh, what do you think if he just bring this man into the Jericho and this man was ignored by his boss, the priest? It would be an insult to the priest, right? It will be an insult to the priest. If the priest didn't bother to help, why should I? You know, why should I being raised, being scolded, berated by the priest? Then the priest see, you know, why are you so capable? Huh? I really never helped you, you want to go and help. So there are all kinds of fear. And we know that the Bible tells us he chose to ignore and he passed over to the other side of the road. Now, the stage has been set. Two religious leaders have failed to perform the duties of love. Now, the third man comes along. The third man comes along. Now, you see, in the parable, when Jesus tells the story, the hearer, when they hear there was a priest, there was a Levite, the next person in this tree, in this group of three, automatically they will think the next person will be a a Jew, because they are Jewish, right? So they will think, oh, a priest, you know, a Levite. Then the next person must be a Jew. Ah, oh, imagine this. Oh, Jesus is going to talk about, you know, the good Jewish man. It's not the good Samaritan, because to them, ultimately they think it must be the good Jewish man's parable. But imagine they're shocked. Imagine they're shocked when Jesus announced that the third person that is going to come in, the third person going to enter this sin is a Samaritan, the hero 
of the story is not a Jewish man, but a hated outsider. It's a Samaritan. The Samaritan, they are, you know, mixed blood, a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. They are hated by the Jews. They are very, very hated by the Jews. I mean, in fact, the, all this hatred uh, goes back long, long way, you know, long, long way. They don't like each other. They hate each other, the Jews and the Samaritan. They always fight. They hate each other. There was a saying says, he that eats the bread of the Samaritan is like that who eats the flesh of the swine. You know, Jewish, Jew people, they don't eat pork, right? they don't eat. So he says, if you receive kindness from the Samaritan, uh, it's like you eat the flesh of the swine. It's that bad. You know, they are always at war with each other. Now, one of the reasons is because when the Jews, they, uh, they were attacked by uh, the Assyrian, right? The Assyrian invaded the kingdom of the southern capital of Samaria. Some Jews surrendered. When they surrendered, they are, you know, spared. They stayed in Samaria. They, you know, married. And then that's why they are, you know, mixture. They become a mixture of, uh, they're not fully Jew anymore. So the remaining Jews, they are in Samaria, right? They are exiled they're in, 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 they're in Samaria. What did they do? They built a temple. They built their own temple in, on Mount Gerizim. That made the Jew very angry because the original temple is in Jerusalem. God commanded that the temple should be built in Jerusalem. But then these people in Samaria, they built another temple, and then, you know, people will go to the temple. So, when, they, they always argue about this. And the Samaritans are not very good people also. They always, you know, kachow uh, them also. That's one time, they, they, during the Passover at night, they went to the temple in Jerusalem and they throw human bones to defile the temple in Jerusalem. That's why, you know, a lot of the history tells us that they don't like each other. So you can see the tension when Jesus introduced the next person as to come into the scene is the Samaritan. It's the Samaritan. So here we see the Samaritan came out to the injured man and he felt compassionate. You know, he felt the compassion. He was deeply stirred inside him and he showed mercy. The word compassion is a very strong word that comes from the Greek uh, word panic. And it means, you know, gut, bowel. It's a word to describe God's feeling for His people. In the book of Luke, it was only mentioned three times, this word. All right, the first one is when Jesus saw the sadness of this widow of Nain, when his, her only son died. The second reference is to this good Samaritan. And the third reference is when the father sees the prodigal son coming home, right? In each of these mention of com- the word compassion, we see strong feeling, very strong feeling of, of God for his people. So here comes the Samaritan. He went and he offered help. But you say, ah, you're Samaritan, ma. you know, they are lower class of people, they are outcasts, you know, they have nothing to lose, what? They go and they go and help, they got nothing to lose. But do you know that to help this wounded man, the Samaritan will also have to take big, big risks. He also had to take big, big risks. What are the risks? 
You see, like the priests and the Levites, this Samaritan will also be in danger of being attacked by the robbers. Remember, they are traveling on the same road. And remember, this road is notorious. It's filled with robbers. And if more than anything, a Samaritan in the Jewish territory is even more than a target. He's a Samaritan, remember? He's an outcast. He's someone that the Jews wanted to kill. So, he's even more than a target than the priest and the Levite. Like the priest and the Levite, this Samaritan, he could also be contaminated. He can also be defiled, become unclean if he touched the man and the man was dead. Why? Because the Samaritans, they also were subject to the same law. The Pentateuch is also, you know, their, their law too. And the Samaritans, you know, when he came into the scene, he had 101 reasons to just walk away. He could have just said, no. This man probably is Jew. Remember I said the, the hearers, they would think that he's a Jew. The two previous religious Jew religious leaders have left him to die. So why should I get involved? Why should I get involved? But we find that this Samaritan, he stopped and he got involved. What did he do? Verse 34 tells us, he went to him, he bandaged him, his wounds, he's pouring on oil and wine. This is what he did. He attended to him, he gave him first aid. He bandaged his wound, he's pouring oil and wine. In the first century, in the Bible time, oil and wine, they often mixed to form medication for wounds. And perhaps this Samaritan, when he traveled, he would have packed a little bit, you know, oil and wine for himself, just in case of emergency. He would use it on himself. So when the Bible says he poured oil and wine for this man, it means that he used whatever he has. Whatever he had, he used it on that wounded man. I mean, he wouldn't have packed extra Imagine if you are traveling, you know, you're flying off to somewhere, you want to pack your shampoo. Usually you only pack for yourself. But when you pack your shampoo, will you say, okay, let me pack for five more people in case on the plane there's people who need shampoo. No, right? You wouldn't do that. You pack for yourself. So what, what, what the Bible is trying to tell us that this, Samar this Samaritan, he used all that he had to care, to nurse that wounded person. Will you do that? Will you give what you have to help? What else did he do? He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. He said, ah, yeah, that one, okay, what? Uh, the Samaritan puts the man on the injured, uh, uh, the injured man on his donkey. He led him along the road like a servant. Okay, ma. After all, they are going down the same road, you know. But, you must understand, this Samaritan is paying a very high risk because they are in the wilderness. And here it says that this Samaritan is taking him to an inn. Can you find inns? Can you find hotels in the wilderness? No. In order for you to go to an inn, you need to go into the village. You need to go to the village in the Jewish territory. Now, put yourself into this picture. Put yourself into the story. A Samaritan carrying 
a wounded Jew on the animal entering into the territory of the Jewish uh, people. Now imagine what will happen. Imagine what will happen. He's paying a very high risk to transport this wounded man. You know, he's bringing him into a Jewish territory. You would expect that, you know, this Samaritan maybe, you know, take him uh, somewhere near Jericho to the gate there, you know, throw him off and quickly run away. Or maybe, you know, call him a grab and, you know, fetch him. That time, no grab. At that time, maybe grab donkey or something like that. But he didn't. He brought him into the inn. Now, maybe I help you to understand, you know, just change this, this thing. Now, imagine if there is a red Indian. That's a red Indian. All right? He, he found a robbed and seriously wounded cowboy. Red Indian and cowboy, huh? He found a, a, a wounded cowboy on, on the parade. And now this red Indian put this cowboy on his own horse and he lead this cowboy, the wounded cowboy, into the Wild Wild West town. Ah, remember? Think, think. You know, imagine the atmosphere. Imagine the hostile eyes of everyone in the Wild Wild West town. Perhaps, you know, already with their gun. You know, will be fixed on that Indian. If the Indian, you know, really feared for his life, he would just left that man at the edge of the town. But instead, you know, like this good Samaritan, he went, he booked a hotel, he carried this wounded man up to the hotel and he nursed him. And then he expect to leave the town alive in the morning. <laughs> a bit, you know, risky, right? That's exactly what the good Samaritan did. You know? And you may think, okay, once they, he got safely into that inn, then maybe the story is complete. But we see that Jesus in, continued, instead of ending, Jesus continued to add to the story, you know, give the story a few more punches on the parable. And he says, you know, what did the man do? He says the next day he took out two, two denarii and he said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will come again. I will repay you. You see, Jesus, uh, the good Samaritan, he did all he could do. And he did more than he could do. He went on to do the second mile. He went on to do the second mile to show mercy, to be compassionate. A second mile of self-giving and courage. And Jesus completes this parable. He completes the story by asking the lawyer one very important question. Which of these uh, was a neighbor? Which of these was a neighbor? And what would the answer be? What would the answer be? The good Samaritan. But you see, the, the Jew, uh, they hated the Samaritan so much that he didn't even want to name the word, say the word Samaritan. What did he say? He said, he. He didn't want to say the word Samaritan. They don't like each other. Okay, he said, he who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, as we come to a close, I want to say that the point of this parable is not to show how bad the clergy, you know, how bad the religious leaders are. 
is not to show how good the Samaritans are, but is to show the unexpected compassion of the Samaritan. For the Jew, the Samaritan is the last people expected to help. But when the Samaritan saw a need, he felt that compassion and he translated that compassion into action. So, what do we learn today? Or what can we learn from this parable? Sometimes we also ask the same question, who is my neighbor? This morning, I feel that our question should not be who is my neighbor, but it's more to whom I am a neighbor. To whom I am a neighbor. Because the answer is everyone is your neighbor. Anyone in need is your neighbor. Jesus defines neighbor not by proximity, but by anyone that crosses our path, that anyone that is in need. Like the great Samaritan, he paid a great cost to become neighbor to that wounded man. Church, I cannot overemphasize how significant this impact of this lesson of the parable ought to be upon our lives. You know, if I'm honest to you, I would say, I have to admit that I too, like the priest, like the Levite, wants to go over to the other side of the road. I'm busy. I got things to do. I don't want to get tangled in people's problems. If I'm honest, I will tell you that. But Jesus says, we got to do it. Jesus says we have to be a neighbor. Remember, I started my sermon by sharing the, the lady who screamed, help, help, help. I didn't help. I can have a hundred of one and one reasons, excuses not to. I'm in charge of prayer meeting, you know. What if I'm late? Then people come, then there's no prayer meeting. I'm hungry, you know. I need to eat, you know. I get that strict. You know, I'm this, I'm that. I can give a lot of excuses, but I know like the Levite, like the priest, I passed over to the other side of the road. During my sabbatical, my initial plan was to go to China to visit the orphanage, the HIV children orphanage, you know, the one that we, we, we support. I, I've been uh, building friendship with the director, with the teachers and, uh, and the children. I thought maybe this sabbatical, I'll go there and spend a month's time helping them, you know, teaching them and just playing with them uh, in, in this month. But because of certain things, I, I decided not to go to China this round. So I was telling myself, it's all right, you know, you want to help, no need to go all the way to China. Penang also got, all right? Penang also got orphanage, you can go and help. So I tell myself, okay, this one nun, I will go and find an orphanage that's not so well known, uh, orphanage that is, is in need, or maybe old folks' home, then maybe I can go and do something that they need help. So that was in the mind, on my mind. So God, just tell me, all right? God, just tell me where you want me to to go. So on the first week of my sabbatical, I took my parents and some of my relatives. We went to Hajjai for a short trip holiday. It was during that time of the Nine Emperor Festival. I didn't know, you know, Thailand was so big on it. At the hotel that we stayed on in the town, it was full of people. It was full of people and, you know, the road was blocked. There was a big, huge parade procession that was going on and people come 
you know, and, and they were doing this procession. And I remember that night, uh, as my family and I were walking down from the hotel, we all blocked, you know, cannot go out because the people all, you know, just right outside the hotel, uh, they're all getting ready for the procession. And uh, what caught my attention is that there was a group of people because everyone spoke Thai, right, the crowd. And suddenly, I saw, I saw this group of people, they spoke in Penang Hokkien. Right, they spoke Penang Hokkien. It caught my attention and I looked and I saw some children, I saw some teenagers, and I saw some adults there. And I, when I looked clearer, clear, I mean, uh, into uh, who they are, I realized that they are here from, uh, they are here as the participant of that re- the, the, the festival, the parade. Right? And when I looked at their shirt, they were wearing a shirt and I realized that these are, they are from an orphanage in Bukit Matajam. They come here to participate in that procession, in the parade as one of the participants. Now, I wish I would say that, wow, now I know the orphanage. Huh? Uh, that, that, that time, you know, I was reminded, you know, Wilson, I thought you said you wanted to go and help an orphanage. You want to find some, some, some orphanage to help. I thought, you know, you asked God to show you some, some names of uh, the orphanage. Now, here it is. I wish I'd tell you that I, when I went back to Penang, I quickly googled the, the, the place, found the location. I went and I helped them. I spent the rest of my holiday with them, helping them, whoever is in need. Yes, I went back to Penang. I googled the name of the orphanage. I found the website and I found out that they, they were really in need of help, but I didn't go. I didn't go. Why? Not because I was lazy, not because I had no time. I didn't pursue the matter because when I read more about the orphanage, I find out that this name of this orphanage is very religiously named. You know, certain names, they, they, you, they, you know that they are from other religions, you know, they, they are, at least they are closely related to some religious society. So I gave the excuse, I tell myself, hey, you know, they may not welcome me if they know that I'm a Christian. You know, why suddenly this person come and help us? Huh? He's a Christian. And what if they found out that I'm a pastor? Oh, they, they, will, they will think that you come to... to convert their children or convert their people. And also think, 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 oh, what if the members, you know, of PCC, they see me? Oh, what is this person doing in their religious orphanage? You know, what still, if they take pictures and post out on uh, social media, you know, and, oh, what is this pastor doing there? Has he changed his religion in, uh, over, over the, the sabbatical? All kinds of uh, things that come out to my, to my head. And I say, I, like the priests, like the Levites, giving all kinds of excuses and choose to go to the other side of the road. That's why I choose to preach on this parable, on the Good Samaritan, because I feel that I need to preach to myself. I need to share to myself. I need to remind myself of this parable. And as we come to a close and invite the worship teams, You know, church, we are challenged with this question again and again. Who is my neighbor? Or more accurately, to whom I must be a neighbor? You know, like this orphanage thing, sometimes 
as Christians, we knowingly or unknowingly, we put up barriers, right? We put up barriers when we want to help. Like the lawyer who's trying to justify himself. You know, who is my neighbor? Or maybe these people I can help. These people I cannot help. Sometimes we put up barriers. We decide who we want to help. We decide who we want to be neighbor to. You know, when they are our people, when we like them, it's easy to help. But what Jesus is trying to say is, what about your enemy? What about those people that you don't like? Like the wounded man on, on the road, you know? What if that person is a stranger, is a foreigner, or is your most hated colleague in your work? What if that person is that messed up young person that you never liked? What if that person is the root relatives that you wish that you were not relatives to? What if they are the LGBT community? You see, church, the Bible says, by chance, the priest came along. Sometimes, by chance, we meet these people on the road. By chance, we meet these wounded people on the road. And Jesus tells us that our neighbor should be anyone in need, regardless of language, regardless of religion, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of social class. We are to help the needy without asking who he is and what in relation he is to us. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love your enemies, love strangers, foreigners, immigrants, and even idolaters. Because, church, a religion without love is worthless and is useless. I want to say again, a religion without love is worthless, is useless. This morning, as we close, I want to stress that love is and must be unconditional. Love is and must be unconditional because the love of God transcends all the barriers that we put up. This morning, I want to say, church, we have a responsibility to love all those that we come in contact. To those whose needs are made known to us, that we're made aware. If beginning, I start by Jesus telling that is the way to life, I want to end by saying that this is our way of life. That's the way of, our way of life. That's what we need to do as a believer. John 4, verse 7 to 8 tells us, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that this parable is a simple parable, but yet we also know that it is so difficult for us to live up this parable, to be like that good Samaritan 
to offer compassion, help to those that we come across. Forgive us, Lord, for sometimes we put up barriers in our lives. We decide by, for ourselves who we want to help and who we don't want to help. Forgive us for many times we justify ourselves like how the lawyer did to define narrowly who is our neighbour. So this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to start working in our lives and to help us to be that good Samaritan. That wherever you send us, that we can offer help, we can offer love, we can offer compassion so that your name will be glorified. Help us, teach us to serve, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.